Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast and our ongoing series on the false doctrine of Calvinism. So, Jeff, are you ready to talk about irresistible grace today? Yes, indeed. Uh, it's going to be an interesting discussion. Yeah, you know, in our first podcast, uh, we mentioned that, you know, what makes this false doctrine so dangerous is that it's really permeated almost every mainstream religion in the world today, and, and it leads many down the wrong path. So I guess, Jeff, that's what kind of really makes this an important subject to to study. Right, and it's one of those kind of doctrines that has, you know, consequences to people's, you know, attitudes regarding, you know, either waiting for God to miraculously do something to give them faith, or if they've been saved, there's nothing they can do to lose their salvation. So it's, it's very consequential. Definitely is. And so for those of you that are listening, you know, if you're a member of the Baptist Church, Lutheran, Catholic, uh, maybe you're a member of, you know, uh, what we might call an all-faiths type church, like community churches that you see, uh, especially here in the United States today, well, it's likely that if you belong to one of these religions, uh, you're going. It's it's uh, likely you'll hear teaching that endorses the false doctrine of Calvinism, and even though you may not necessarily hear the term Calvinism, uh, you certainly, based on what we're going through, will recognize the tenet. So, for instance, once saved, always saved. In other words, once you've you know admitted that you're willing to follow Jesus and make him your quote unquote personal savior. Well, you're saved, and there's nothing you can do to be lost. Or, you know, maybe you're a fornicator, or you're an adulterer, you know, someone who's having sex outside of marriage, or maybe you're having sex with somebody else that isn't your wife or your husband, or maybe you're homosexual, and you'll hear teaching, well, you're fine with God, because Jesus has saved you, you can't be lost, you're just fine. And so, when you start hearing things like this, even though for some it may be comforting, it's critical that we understand this contradicts God's Word. These are false doctrines. The hope, of course, is that you'll recognize what the Bible teaches and turn to the Lord and take a stand against these doctrines and say, I'm not going to support them. I'm not going to be member of a, a member of a church that teaches these false doctrines. And so, what we want to do next is, in this episode, as we just mentioned, we want to consider the next tenet of Calvinism, which is called irresistible grace. So, Jeff, what exactly is irresistible grace? Well, let's first start off with a quote from one of their publications called the Westminster Confession of Faith. Quote, All those whom God hath predestined unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature, call them out of that state, to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone, giving to them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power, determining them that which is good 
and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so, as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. End quote. Uh, which, you know, in my own mind, if I kind of boil all that down, it's just basically when God chooses, he will do his, you know, miraculous whatever to cause you to believe, to cause you to have faith. And, and, and yet, Brian, at the very end of that quote, uh, so as they come most freely, being made willing by his grace. So again, it's, as we mentioned in our previous podcast, you know, this concept of irresistible grace magnifies the God side of the equation. You know, it's all on God. And when God is ready, he's going to zot the ones he wants to, to zot, so to speak, to use kind of a common vernacular, and they will believe. Uh, here's, here's another quote, which hopefully can kind of expand on that to some degree. Quote, in addition to the outward general call to salvation that is made to everyone who hears the gospel, the Holy Spirit extends to the elect a special inward call that inevitably brings them to salvation. The external call, which is made to all without distinction, can be and often is rejected. Whereas the internal call, which is made only to the elect, cannot be rejected. It always results in conversion. By means of this special call, the Spirit irresistibly draws sinners to Christ. He is not limited in his work of applying salvation by man's will, nor is he dependent upon man's cooperation for success. The Spirit graciously causes the elect sinner to cooperate, to believe, to repent, to come freely and willingly to Christ. God's grace, therefore, is invincible. It never fails to result in the salvation of those to whom it is extended. So, end quote. So here, you know, once again, I mean, they do acknowledge that God calls to everyone through the gospel to be saved. And yet it is impossible for everyone to be saved? Uh, that men are caused to cooperate, yet they come freely and willingly. You know, Brian, this is where my brain starts to overheat. It's, it's kind of a contradiction. Uh, you know, basically with this total depravity, you know, they, they deny that man has free will, that man has the ability to choose, that even free will or, or I guess, a choice has to be made for them by God. Uh, and even intermixing this terminology about coming freely, but they're not coming freely, they're coming irresistibly. They're coming because God programmed them or flipped the switch, so to speak, and now they're executing his commands to obey. Um, and just talk in terms of free will and coming freely just doesn't make any sense. And again, it all comes back to if it's, you know, if it's all on God, uh, he has to choose who he's going to uh, save, and he has to do it in a way that basically takes over the person's free will. And I can't even say free will because they don't have free will. You know, he'll he'll pick and zot the ones he wants to pick and zot. And they'll irresistibly obey that grace. Yeah, and hopefully, Jeff, this raises some red flags with our listeners as well. As you mentioned, it makes your brain, you know, like overheat. And, you know, hopefully 
for our listeners, especially if you're familiar with what the Bible does teach, will recognize there's error here. And so when we read these quotes from the creeds of men, what you'll notice is that these are not concepts found in the scriptures. These come from their own creeds, like the Westminster Confession of Faith. And so what we want to do next is kind of look at how, as we've touched on before, all of these doctrines of TULIP here, of, of Calvin, you know, these Calvinistic tenets, they really stand or fall together. And so let's look at some of these connections once again from some of the quotes from their own creeds. So here's one that says, one cannot maintain total depravity, yet deny irresistible grace. Can't argue with that, right? They go on to say, can you see that? If a, the sinner is totally depra- depraved, dead in sin, unable to do any good, then he needs far more than mere assistance. Give a dead man a cane and try thus to assist him in walking. Uh, You know that such assistance would be of no avail. Rather, he must be made alive again or he will never walk. So it is with the totally depraved sinner. God does not give to every totally dead sinner some sort of cane, or they have in them parentheses, grace, and say, Here is something to assist you, now serve me. God does not do that. On the contrary, his grace must take the dead sinner and must make him alive again. Total depravity implies that an irresistibly powerful grace of God is the only hope for the dead sinner. Ooh, that's that's just uh yeah. Well, it is it is logical if if you grant total depravity. It's entirely logical. As you said, it stands or falls together. That's right. The problem is, as we saw back on one of our earliest podcasts, that the concept of total depravity is wrong. That's it. And and this is the connections, right, we're talking about that have to exist. And, you know, kind of like when you were reading, Jeff, and it talks about that God isn't dependent on man's cooperation for success. Well, that's true. Salvation isn't dependent on man's cooperation in the sense that it will fail if man doesn't cooperate. As a whole, it will fail. No doubt it will fail individually if we don't cooperate, right? Because we're not following his will. So as we go through all these quotes, what you will once again see are shades of the truth in here. But as Jeff just touched on, you'll see how they are really connected. Because once again, and they even by their own admission say, if total depravity exists, then God has to help, right? Because he's the one who chose the certain number of people uh, to be saved. And so here's another quote. The same can be said of unconditional election. This truth implies necessarily an irresistible grace of God. God has chosen unto himself a people from before the foundations of earth. The execution of the decree of God cannot rest now upon the fickle will of man, but rest upon the irresistible grace of God, which will surely bring to realization his eternal purpose. They then say in another quote, limited atonement is also uh, inseparably related to God's grace. In the atonement, we confess Christ dies only for his people on the cross, redeeming them fully from their sins. Now, how does this work of Christ become ours? Does it rest upon your will, whether or not you shall receive that atonement? And could God allow the death of his son to come to naught in that some for whom he died would not be saved? God forbid. When his son pays for the sins of his people, it is the power of God's grace whereby the life of Christ is given to his own 
and they are brought unto eternal life. So here's another great example of how they take elements of the truth and interweave it into this false doctrine. And so, no doubt, Jesus died on the cross to redeem us from our sins. But once again, they're saying, as we studied in our last podcast, that's just limited to only those who are saved. But then they try to tie into this idea of God wouldn't send Jesus or allow him to die for just anyone, but only those who are elect. And so uh, they have to kind of go down this path. Hopefully the listeners are starting to see these connections. The last thing we'll ask here is, you know, how does the Calvinists want those who believe in these tenets to accept it? Well, here's a quote where they kind of state uh, that, and that is, the grace of God is irresistible. You understand what the term irresistible emphasizes. Do not think that irresistible grace is some sort of blind force which simply drags the struggling, rebellious sinner into heaven against his will, as a policeman might drag a rebellious prisoner to jail. The grace of God is not such a power that compels to enter into heaven those who would not. Hmm, that also sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it, Jeff? They're saying... Well, God isn't going to force you to do it. It's almost like, you know, you have some choice. They're not going to just, he's not going to drag you into it. But doesn't the term irresistible itself say that? Anyhow, once again, just this contradiction that becomes very confusing. Well, right. And, and indeed, it is a power that compels, right? Irresistibly, you have no choice. You know, if you are one of the elect, at some point, God will irresistibly drag you into a state of belief and faith. And from your perspective, you say, hey, I made a free choice. But from a Calvinistic perspective, no, you didn't. Because God was behind the scenes pulling all the levers. I guess it's good for you to believe you had something to do with it, right? (laughs) According to them. But anyhow. Right. Okay. So here's here's another quote. Quote, but also, were his grace resistible, it would mean that all assurance would be gone concerning my salvation. I have a will, which is no different from that of any other man. If God's grace were merely an influence which could be resisted, then I could be lost. Or, this person actually says, I would be lost, for I would never will my salvation. If I can resist... I will resist. Hmm. If that grace of God were resistible, no Christian could endure in this evil age. I can stand only by a grace which not only saves me, but holds me daily to the end. There's a pretty low opinion of humanity. Uh, Continuing the quote, that is our comfort and the comfort of our children, the irresistible grace of God that not only draws me but preserves and glorifies me for Jesus' sake. I am saved to the uttermost by the power of God's grace. The devil can never change that, nor can evil men of this age. Yeah, I I find it interesting, Brian, in that quote, uh, and I don't know if I've, I've ever heard it expressed quite that way before, that if you know God's grace can is is an influence that can be resisted. I would resist it. I would never will my salvation as the person 
goes, if I can resist, I will resist. Like, whoa, wait a minute. And, and I, I honestly don't know if that carries with it the uh, the lingering aspect of, you know, total depravity. And, you know, I'm I'm entirely born in sins. And if I could resist it, you know, I, I certainly would. Yeah, uh, again, it just kind of kind of hurts my head. Now, at the same time, Brian, you know, we do have to admit, as I think we've tried to admit, is that we do have a tendency to sin. You know, given a choice between doing what's good and doing what's bad, too often we do what's bad. It seems to be easier to go down the bad path than it is the good path, uh, etc. But that doesn't mean we don't have a choice. It doesn't mean that evil can be resisted and that we can strive for what is good. And when we do fall short, which we do, which we from time to time we do, according to you know First John, that you know we can repent and come back. Yeah, and we it's interesting too in that last quote that you read, where you know once again we see this connection, right? Where they say the irresistible grace of God not only draws me, but preserves and glorifies me for Jesus' sake. And then they go on to talk about the devil can never change that. So. You know, we'll, our listeners will see when we get into our last tenet in the next podcast on perseverance of the saint, once again, this connection, they all either have to stand or fall together. And as we go through the scriptures, we can easily see that the scriptures not only refute some of the tenets, but all of them, therefore, they're all going to fall together. So, Right. So that kind of, I think, Brian, leads us to the section of our podcast where we look at some of the verses. Calvinists uh, try to point to to establish this concept of irresistible grace. Uh, the first one we've got is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Uh, I've got a quotation here uh, that uh, highlights this particular verse. We are saved by grace through faith, and that is the only possible way. For ye are saved by grace, says the word of God. Continuing with the quotation, that is the basis and foundation of the salvation of God's church. By grace and by grace alone, he has chosen unto himself a people from before the foundations of the earth in Christ. By grace alone, he sends forth his word and spirit and calls forth that new life of regeneration which the spirit instills in our hearts, drawing his people from darkness into his marvelous light. By grace and grace alone, we are preserved daily until finally we are brought to eternal glory. Indeed, by grace, ye are saved through faith. End quote. And of course, that particular quotation, Brian didn't mention, you know, the gift of God, but you know, some people would say, see, even faith is a gift, and I might say miraculous, a miraculous gift of God. So, coming back around to Ephesians 2.8, does this passage talk about the irresistible force of God or the irresistible grace of God or uh, or what? Uh, now, of course, here's, here's where we need to kind of get into the details. Certainly, the passage, you know, calls on, you know, people to believe you know, by grace you saved through faith. You know, man does indeed need to evidence faith. So again, even there's that hint. Um, and even in some ways, Brian, you know, the, the faith that we have, there is a degree of God's grace that we can talk about in terms of 
you know, the various evidences that God has made available, such that indeed we can have faith, uh, you know, faith, you know, based on the things we see in the natural creation, faith based on the evidence that makes it reasonable to believe the Bible is God's word, you know, etc. Et so, yes, indeed, you know, part of the faith, if you will, is made possible through God's grace. That's not what the Calvinists teach. They would say faith, all of it, all of it is Again, miraculous gift of God. Uh, here we have uh, to help refute this uh, use, or maybe I should say abuse of Ephesians 2.8, that even faith is a gift or a miraculous thing from God. Um, Matthew 21, verses 28 through 32. Uh, hey, Brian, do you want to go ahead and read that passage for us? Uh, sure. Here it says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted and regretted it and went. Verse 30, then he came to the second and said likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him the first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe in him. And certainly, you know, this, this passage kind of shows us some of the, uh, the folly of this concept of, you know, irresistible grace. Because indeed, you know, obviously, if, you know, if the grace of God you know, God is supreme and sovereign and irresistible. You know, why couldn't John, you know, convince these uh, people to believe? No, it's up. It's up to the individual. It's up to the uh, the person to look at the evidence and decide. You know, if if there's enough there to believe. And of course, unfortunately, in the Pharisees' eyes, nope they they chose not to believe. While in the, the the lower classes, if you will, the tax collectors and the harlots saw the evidence and did believe. Uh, likewise, we've got another passage, uh, Mark chapter one, verse fifteen: "The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." Which, coming back around, if God's grace is irresistible, why did John have to plead with people to believe it? You know, why the need to preach? Why the need to try to convict people of it uh, if they cannot resist believing it? Uh, and of course, at the end of, of Mark's gospel, uh, Mark 16, 15, 16, uh, Jesus speaking, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Once again, putting it on mankind. You know, as much as God has done through his grace, cannot argue with that but still putting some small part on man to believe, to exercise that. And of course, not only just believe, but also repent and confess Jesus' deity, be immersed in water, etc. Yeah, and the when we look at that section you started with, Jeff, uh, so you read Ephesians 2, verse 8, where, you know, for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. He says in verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So, you know, going back to this thought uh, that we were talking about in our last podcast of, you know, looking at the context, understanding what's being said here, 
No doubt, it's only through God's grace any of us are saved. We can't boast that, hey, look at all the works I've done, therefore I should be saved. We know that. Uh, In fact, James 2 talks about that. However, James 2 verse 20 also says, faith without works is dead. So have to harmonize all these passages together. And now if we continue on in verse 10, it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So Ephesians 2.10, I think is very powerful because it talks about the purpose of us being created was to do good works and specifically the works that God created beforehand that we should do. Uh, And so the Calvinists will make this argument when it comes to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Uh, the Calvinists ask, Who, whose is this work of salvation? We are his workmanship. An artist forms his work as he will. The artist does not ask the clay which he forms, in what form would you desire to be made? But he fashions the clay according to his own will. So also we are God's workmanship. God himself forms his people to be what they are now. The prophet states this too uh, in his Isaiah 50, or excuse me, Isaiah 43, verse 21. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. That is irresistible grace, they say. This power of God does not wait for those poor, miserable sinners to accept Christ, but it forms them to be his people. They therefore show forth his praise. So I guess the central question we would have to ask in reading that quote is, how are we made or created unto good works? Now, if you look at the Greek word for create, kitzo, or katizo, I'm probably saying that wrong, but it means to form or to transform. Now, if you think about it, they might actually have an argument if the scriptures really taught that God's grace transformed us into purely righteous people, But is that really what the scriptures teach us? I think we'll see clearly if we look, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 4, what's really being taught. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. And Jeff, if you would, could you read verses 17 through 24 for us? Okay. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So when we look at verse 24, it contains this Greek word that we were talking about when it says, in that you put on the new man, which was created according to God. So in other words, how he formed and transformed us. So how can Paul 
admonish the Christians he's speaking to here who are not, you know, what God would expect them to be to put on the new man if they, and we for that matter, have no choice but to be new men by the irresistible grace of God. In fact, if you continue reading on here in Ephesians chapter 4, what you notice in verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Well, if we can grieve the Holy Spirit, how does that exactly fit these tenets of Calvinism that we've been talking about? So, are we made for good works by some overwhelming, irresistible power of God? Or are we made this way because the gospel tells us and really teaches us how to do good works? Now, Calvinists argue we have no choice, as we've been saying all along, but the Bible clearly teaches choice. In fact, just in this section of scripture, Look at how many times choice is given. Verse 17, that you should no longer walk. Verse 19, those he describes as being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness. Verse 22, that you put off concerning your former uh, former conduct. And then verse 22, or verse 24, I should say, and that you put on the new man, which is created according to God. That says choice. And so, you know, God didn't turn us into good works machines, if you will, or robots or puppets or whatever term you'd like to use. Otherwise, we would always know to do good works and there would really be never a need to be admonished, right, Jeff? I mean, it just kind of logically has to follow that. Yeah, we would just be uh, basically fulfilling our basic programming. Right? Yes. Without, yeah, without having to think much about it. So transitioning to another verse that's sometimes offered by Calvinists, uh, John chapter 6, verse 37, uh, where Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. Uh, a little bit further down, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up at the last day. Further down, verse 65, and he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. So this giving, this drawing, this granting is what the Calvinists would focus on. Uh, a quotation here. Quote, no man can come unto Christ except it were given unto him of the Father. All that the Father giveth shall come. How? These come because my Father, says Jesus, shall draw him, and I will raise him up again on the last day. That is the irresistible grace of God, which takes the dead sinner and brings him to Christ. Now, for this particular verse and that particular comment, I guess we have to remember that the whole point of the gospel is that God decided that men can come by their free will, and those who learn of him can be saved. You know, even in verse uh, 35, he who comes and he who believes are parable. I mean, one doesn't come first and then hear and believe. So let's be careful not to change the meaning. Uh, verse 44, those who come must be drawn, yes, and God does draw us, yes, he does. I mean, but how? How does God draw us? Is it irresistible? Like, I don't know, Brian, like a chain around our neck and God is just going to yank on that chain and we're going to move in that direction irresistibly? Or are we drawn by 
the gospel, drawn by the message of the gospel. You know, some were convicted and they believe. Some were not convicted and hence they don't believe. And those who do, you know, are drawn by the gospel. Those who do believe, you know, will not be cast out. Uh, and again, it kind of comes back to, again, choice. And at least in this context, yes, God does draw. Okay, granted. How? Well, the passage doesn't say. Other passages, if you do the proper harmonization of various passages, we know that that's not irresistible, that it is resistible. Again, that man has to make his own choice. Uh, verse 45, those who come are taught, they hear, they learn. Uh, and so once again, it comes back to, you know, hearing, learning, accepting, not because God is irresistibly tugging on that chain around your neck, so to speak, but because you are, you know, paying attention and accepting it as it truly is God's word. Brian, I'll, I'll toss it back over to you. Yeah, let's take a look at Acts chapter 16, 14, which is also kind of a, a big passage for them as it relates to them trying to prove these, these tenets. So Acts 16, 14 says, Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So here's a quote from uh, those uh, who, who believe in Calvinism. Quote, Lydia's heart is opened by the Lord. The Lord opened Lydia's heart, then she listened and believed. That is the irresistible power of the grace of our God. He breaks, breaks open the closed heart and the child of God believes. Unquote. So let's first kind of examine what this scripture is actually saying. First, Paul spoke. And then Lydia heard. The scriptures tell us faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So Paul spoke the truth to her. We see that the Lord opened her heart to give heed, or you know, in some translations it might say give attention to his message. So the question is, how did the Lord open her heart? Was it some irresistible grace? Did she have no choice? Or was it simply what Paul was teaching, you know, the convicting power of the gospel? In fact, Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to all who believe. And then he goes on to say the Jew first and also to the Greek, which means all men. And then verse 17 talks about, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And so Paul was speaking the righteousness of God or the truth to Lydia. Is that what opened her heart or was it based on, once again, some irresistible draw from God. Also, you might remember, if you are familiar with Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching, and in essence, he tells those who are listening that it was you that put Jesus on the cross because of your sins. And when he told them that truth through the Holy Spirit, they were convicted of their sin. And verse 37 tells us that. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, in other words, convicted of their sin, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Well, if you're familiar with this section of scripture, you know in verse 38, Peter says, repent and let every one of you be baptized. Because it's only through baptism, of course, 
that our sins can be washed away. So going back to Lydia, you might have you might ask yourself, well, how closed was her heart? I mean, she had gathered with others to pray and worship God, which was uh, something that was done under the old law on the Sabbath. It was very common for those who were Jews to gather by the riverside and, and to pray. So if she's already praying and worshiping God, does it sound like that she was totally depraved or had really no interest in God until Paul came along? In fact, if you're familiar with this, uh, this story, you can go over to Acts chapter 16 and read all about it what's often called the Macedonian call, where the Holy Spirit led Paul and Timothy and Luke and Silas over to that section of what's known as Greece today, to Macedonia, to speak to people who God knew were interested in the truth. So this is just another example. You need to know the whole story. Before you start making conclusions, well, here's Lydia, this depraved person. She had no interest in the truth, and it was only through God's irresistible grace that she accepted those things that Paul spoke to her. And so, you know, the John talks about verse uh, in chapter 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So men have an obligation here, right? Men have to receive Christ by faith before they can become children of God. And uh, so, you know, they Calvinists would have you believe that a man is a child of God because, once again, he's one of the elect, and, and before he ever believes, he's chosen. Well, these passages and these principles clearly teach uh, something different. Right. Well, and, and this particular example is, is similar to the previous one where, you know, certainly we cannot deny, uh, you know, what it says in terms of, you know, the Lord opened her heart or in some other place, you know, the Lord draws, uh, et cetera. But uh, the key question is, okay, how is that done? And as you pointed out, it's through the preaching of the gospel, the power of the gospel, you know, people listening uh and you know accepting it uh not through some miraculous irresistible you know behind the scenes manipulation if you will of god uh one final uh quote unquote proof text calvinists sometimes use uh, acts chapter 13 verse 48 says now when the gentiles heard this they were glad and glorified the word of the lord and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Of course, this comes back to the predestination. The Calvinist claims, according to one quote I have here, those whom God has chosen, he also will surely save. The ones he has ordained to eternal life believe. What is the explanation for that? Is there a willingness within them? Oh, no. Only the irresistible grace of God accomplishes that which he has eternally determined to do and you know brian here again we got the concept of well if god has pre-selected certain individuals individuals then by definition and you throw in the total depravity then by definition god has to step in and miraculously exert irresistibly exert his grace to as the analogy in, in one of the previous quotes is, you know, take this dead person, you know, not just give him a cane, but take this dead person 
and forcibly bring them back to life so that they can believe. Well, and as we kind of see throughout the, this whole thing, uh, that's not the case because, again, the ongoing emphasis of the need for action on man's part. Um, you know, certainly within the context of uh, Acts 13, you know, the Jews had rejected God's word, uh, verse 46, and had judged themselves unworthy of the gospel. Uh, you know, those who reject the gospel will be lost. Those who do not reject the gospel, those who accept the gospel, you know, will be saved because they've kind of inversely determine themselves worthy by accepting and embracing that gospel that they hear. I mean, these are the kinds of people, not individuals. These are the kinds of people that God has determined will be saved. So those who have been appointed for eternal life, again, are those who are, you know, class of people who are willing to accept God's grace through the gospel, through belief. Uh, Brian, any other thoughts on that before we uh, move into the next section? Yeah, just one quick thought. And, you know, this is another example where if you just looked at verse 48, you know, as many as had been appointed to eternal life, believe on the surface, they'd say, well, wow, that, that does kind of sound like God is picking it and choosing. on the surface. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, as we've said a million times, right, you got to go back and look at the context. And the context goes back to verse 42, where, you know, the, the Paul was teaching and it says that the Jews went out of the synagogue and the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. And if you go on down, you see verse 44, on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Well, the Jews didn't like that, right? Verse 45 says, when they saw the multitude, the Jews saw the multitudes. They were filled with envy. They were contradicting and blaspheming and opposed things spoken by Paul. Now notice verse 46. Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said it was necessary that the word should be spoken to you first. Why is that? Well, they were God's chosen people. But notice he says, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. So he's explaining, this is why we're teaching the Gentiles, because you've rejected God's word. And then he goes on in verse 47, as the Lord commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of God, as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So once again, Jews had a choice, they rejected it. Many of the Gentiles heard it, and they believed. So that's choice. And and once again, Jeff, it just goes to show you must take the context of what's going on in that section of Scripture to understand the big picture, if you will. Exactly. So let's go ahead and transition now to really see what does the Bible teach, right? At the end of the day, that's all that really matters. So we're going to kind of say, hey, the Bible versus irresistible grace. And so the first thing that the Bible does clearly teach is that of choice. And so just a few passages along that line, going back to the old law, you know, mankind has has been the same forever. As Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. So whether it was the old covenant or the new, mankind's been rejecting God forever. In uh, Numbers chapter 14 and verse 11, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I had performed among them? So here was God who had performed many signs to show that he was who he said he was. 
but yet people still rejected them. Well, why didn't God just give, you know, irresistibly grace them, if you will? Numbers chapter 16, verse 30. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. So if they were already lost, then why did Moses try to turn them to the Lord? Going to the New Testament, John 12, verses 42. Jesus said here, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him. This is speaking of Jesus. Uh, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. So you have to ask yourself, if the grace of God grants faith, what happened to these men as they chose not to go further? Uh, many other passages. Let's just look at two more. Joshua 24, 15. Here Joshua is talking to the Israelites and saying, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choice, right? And then finally, Matthew 22, verse 37. This is Jesus really lamenting the fact that the Jews rejected him. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So Jesus literally cried here. If you read that section of scripture, he wept over the fact that they refused him as the Messiah, as had been prophesied under the old law, which they were familiar with. Um, how does this fit in exactly with irresistible grace, you would ask? You know, if, if they had a choice or if they were irresistibly drawn, wouldn't they have accepted Jesus? I mean, think about it. They were God's chosen people. So it had to be very difficult uh, for, for Jesus to know that they just rejected him by their own choice. Yeah. And that particular passage, Matthew 23, 37, that you mentioned, it, it, it's a fascinating insight into the nature of, of, of deity. You know, how often, how often I wanted to gather your children together. I really wanted you to listen and believe and obey. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, you know, a very strong emotional appeal. But you were not willing. Well, wait a minute. Why couldn't God or Jesus just do the irresistible grace, as you said, the irresistible grace thing? And Zodom, well, it's because <laughs> they constrain their, uh, I guess you could say, they constrain their grace. And, you know, they want man to be willing. They don't want men to be robots. They want men to, or people to, you know, willingly accept them as the creator, as God, as, as the savior, and not as some mindless robot. Yeah, and if the Calvinists would argue, well, they rejected him because they weren't one of God's elect, and why would Jesus cry over that? He would have known that they weren't one of the chosen, so there would be nothing to weep over. Anyhow. Yeah, well, exactly. And, and that kind of leads us into the next uh, section, which, which I'll kind of give some verses on. Verses that talk about people's ability to resist, right? A, a, ability to not be willing to do what God wants them to do what God tells them to do, etc. Uh, Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 53. 
you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. They resisted the Holy Spirit. Uh, Romans 13, verse 2, Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Brings judgment on themselves. Interesting. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, verse 15, in the next chapter, you also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Uh, here's one, uh, James chapter 4, verse 7, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Hmm. Why do we have to be told to submit if we have no choice but to submit? And finally, 1 Peter 5, verse 9, uh, resist him and I believe that's the context is referring to the devil, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Well, why do we have to resist the devil? If, if we cannot resist the Holy Spirit, it would be impossible to not to resist Satan again. Just get, you got contradictions, you know, coming, coming and going. You know, we can resist the Holy Spirit we can resist the devil. Again, comes down to, to some degree, you know, our, our ability uh, and that little bit of um, choice, if you will, or, or that little bit of part that we can play uh, in our salvation with all the rest of God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Hopefully by now, this kind of gives us a, a sense that this concept or this doctrine of God's irresistible grace when it comes to our salvation is, is certainly not of God, not consistent with the scriptures, but certainly God offers salvation to all of humanity, but only those who choose voluntarily to accept it and obey it and remain faithful will ultimately be saved. Brian, I'll turn it back over to you. Yeah, you know, I find it interesting. We went through just a handful of passages, and as you know, Jeff, there are many others that refuse this false doctrine of ir irresistible grace. Yet, when we looked at some of their proof texts, some of the passages they like to rely on to try and prove their false doctrines, you ever notice that they don't ever really talk about some of these passages that we just went through? And it's because it's pretty evident, whether it was once again under the old law or the law of Christ that we live under today, that man has choice. Man has to resist evil. Man has to choose to do good. Uh, they don't comment on those verses. They just latch on to single verses that on the surface seem to prove their points when, once again, we have to consider the whole counsel of God to see what the truth really is. Indeed, indeed. And again, we've you know, been referring to that as you know context, uh, whether within the immediate context of a verse or whether the remote context of other verses in other chapters or other books that touch on the same subject, you got to bring them all together. As you said, you can't just go through the Bible and cherry pick all the passages that uh, 
say one thing like belief as an as an example uh and ignore the ones that say other things no you have to bring them all together as a composite picture you got to bring all the puzzle pieces so to speak together uh, for our listeners who understand you know the uh, the concept of a, of, a, of a puzzle with uh, various pieces that you put together to form the complete picture of what is being talked about so brian that kind of brings us to the the final segment of our podcast and that is where we respond to submitted questions looks like you've got the first one uh arnold writes in uh since according to jesus and his disciples god is the one who calls his chosen would it be correct to say the called out of whom jesus spoke of in matthew 16 verse 18 and of whom peter and paul spoke of through the new testament are the called are the called out ones the god called um and i I suppose there's probably some uh nuance there about this this call being somewhat irresistible right yeah i mean i guess it's fine to use that term god called i mean you know as long as everyone understands that we're we're called by god through the gospel and not by any miraculous means and i guess we could say that was the point right of today's podcast is that there is no such thing as irresistible grace but no doubt god calls us jesus calls us really you could say the holy spirit who revealed the truth calls us through the gospel and uh, one passage here that uh, would be good to consider is in second thessalonians chapter 2 beginning in verse 13 here it says but we are bound to give thanks to god always for you brethren this is paul writing to the church at thessalonica he says but we are bound to give thanks to god always for you brethren beloved by the lord because god from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our lord jesus christ therefore brethren stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught whether by word or or our epistle so this is another good passage for our listeners to kind of file away if someone wants to try to convince you that we are called irresistibly uh, by god and we really have no choice and you know the calvinists might even try to latch on to you know that god from the beginning chose you for salvation well did he choose those in thessalonica no that's not what he's saying he's saying chose you for salvation notice through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth so this word sanctification means we're set apart uh, by our belief in the truth we have the right to be called children of god he says in verse 14 to which he called you by our gospel for obtaining the glory of our lord jesus christ and then he goes on to encourage them in verse 15 to not only be called by the gospel and to believe in what it says, but to stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught. So we have a responsibility once we're called by the gospel, we learn what the gospel teaches us, to then hold fast, stand fast, or continue practicing those principles. Um, and, and so anyhow, it's, it's the full package, right, Jeff? And, uh, you know, so... I guess going back to the the central question, yeah, you could use God called, but just understand once again, it's through the gospel and not by some miraculous means. All right, good point. Uh, You have a question for me? Yeah, so this came from an anonymous uh, person, which is fine. uh, And they just said, they're asked, does grace alone save? 
And I think, Brian, this is another uh, term uh, that we sometimes hear, you know, grace alone, um, that I think in many ways is related to the concept of irresistible grace. Uh, in fact, you know, listeners in our audience may have heard phrases like, you know, I've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You know, I found that phrase uh, on the internet before. And this concept of, you know, being saved by grace and by grace alone. Now, as we've already admitted and tried to portray, you know, God is indeed very merciful, very gracious when it comes to uh, sinful humanity uh, that, you know, hardly doesn't really, you know, merit any sort of, you know, consideration as, as, as sinful as, as we all are. Again, the plan of salvation that he set up with from all eternity past, you know, the giving of his son, his willingness to come to this world, his sacrificial death on the cross for our sins, which we talked about in, in the previous podcast. Uh, you know, First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, uh, the very air that we breathe. I mean, there's, you know, God's grace is like overwhelmingly tremendous that he did for us that we as sinners could never do for ourselves. I mean, there's, honestly, there's nothing that on our own that we could have done, you know, to to make up for our sins, to reconcile ourselves back to God. I mean, there's no number of, quote unquote, good deeds or animal sacrifices or Hail Marys or, or whatever that can outweigh or cancel out our sins, you know, some, something we could never do for ourselves. Uh, and so that is God's part of the equation. That's where you know, God's you know, grace and all of its wonder. And yet, as we've been trying to point out, there's still that little bit uh, that God wants man to exercise on their own. Now, some people admittedly will see all this talk about God and his grace and his mercy and all that he's done for us and walk away believing in, quote unquote, grace only, that God will save whomever he arbitrarily chooses. Or as a side comment, some people believe in grace only and believe that God is going to save everyone universally. And certainly the scriptures don't teach that. Uh, and as we've admitted, God, God's grace certainly dominates massively in matters of salvation. But it's not grace only. It's that only that's where things get messed up. Grace a lot? Yes. Grace predominantly? Sure. Grace only? Nope. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, as an example. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's not just grace. All on God. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 24. Therefore, Jesus speaking, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Again, man must respond. And God wants man to respond. And God is not willing to force us to respond. Otherwise, like we said earlier, with Jesus over Jerusalem, he could have forced them to respond. He, was, he wanted them to come to him. He, and he could have easily done this irresistible grace thing, but chooses not to. You know, grace can only go you know, so far 
man man's uh, freedom of choice has to kick in uh now even with man's freedom of choice is god's grace being involved in our choice in our hearing in our faith well certainly as i mentioned a few moments ago in the podcast if you think in terms of the natural revelation we have around us about the creator god you know romans 1 talks about you know the, the the gentiles having you know within them this kind of evidence that there is a creator uh acts 14 verse 7 nevertheless he did not leave himself without witness in that he god did good gave us rain from heaven fruitful seasons filling our hearts with food and gladness so through natural revelation god is trying to speak to us uh, about his creation and evidence is in the creation certainly through special revelation through the giving of the bible and its preservation and that all that that's through his grace as well it is trying to reach us teach us etc you know certainly even god's grace is, is is being made available through you know people who are willing to devote their lives to preaching the gospel you know preachers to websites like the biblequestions.org uh even christian neighbors and co-workers you know it's kind of in a sense kind of the manifestation of god's grace trying to convince people, trying to convict people, trying to get people to obey, but still it comes down to man and his need to participate. So it's not grace only. Uh, and as we talked about in different podcasts, it's not faith only, you know, without obedient works. Uh, in fact, whenever you see this only, you know, that should throw up a red flag. Well, if it's grace only, then you wouldn't need faith. And if it was faith only, you would need grace. So, you know, this only just kind of, again, causes my head to hurt to, to some degree. Brian, any thoughts? Yeah, good answer and good passages. And as we touched on earlier, right, faith without works is dead. There's so many passages, and I appreciate these that you shared, because like you say, grace only uh, is not a principle that God's Word teaches. And if you would like to learn more about grace, we'd like to point you to our website, biblequestions.org. And you'll notice there's a topics menu. And when you choose that, you'll be able to see an alphabetical index. In fact, that same alphabetical index is also on our home page. And so if you go there and you choose G, you can find many more questions that we've answered and even articles that have been written on grace. So I encourage you to do that. Also to go along with some of the principles we've talked about in this series, you can choose P for predestination, which includes a five-article series on God's choices, uh, N for the nature of man, C for Calvinism, and S for salvation. So I encourage you to go to our website, dig a little bit deeper, and as we always talk about, please examine not just what we've said today, but more importantly, what God's Word says. Make application in your lives, and certainly teach it to others as you have opportunity. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website at biblequestions.org, where you can find over a thousand scripture-filled articles on a wide variety of Bible topics, along with about two dozen free Bible study lessons and other Bible study aids. Plus, you can submit a Bible question to us to get a personal response within a couple of days. Check it all out at biblequestions.org.